So I just wanna encourage you to continue to pray for them. Uh, secondly, just want you to know that in a couple weeks, March 24th, um, we're gonna have a, a luncheon and it is with the intended purpose. It's titled The Church Praying Together. And so after our service together, Josiah is gonna be leading us in that time, but it's all a part of just our desire to create a culture of prayer at Trinity. So I want to invite you to that, and that sign-up sheet is over on the table as well. And so please consider that. This morning, we're in Galatians, as has been read, chapter five, we're clicking our way through this letter, and this morning title is Don't Abuse Your Freedom. Don't abuse your freedom. Now, America prides itself in its freedoms. We are all about freedoms here in America. We have a bill of rights, freedoms. But when a citizen abuses their freedom, what happens? Freedoms are removed from that individual and they find themselves behind bars in a prison cell, lacking freedom. Freedom can be problematic while we shout, freedom, rights, I've got rights, we forget that even in those freedoms, they are limited freedoms. Who gets to limit those freedoms and for what reasons is probably the bigger question. Freedom is often limited when I abuse my freedom in a way that impinges on your freedom. Freedom carries then a sense of responsibility. Law restricts one's freedoms to ensure the safety of another one's freedoms. Tracking with me? As responsible citizens, I can't pull out a gun and shoot you in the foot. I'm not free to do so. The law limits my freedom. Wars are fought for freedoms. And when individuals go into battle, they do so limiting or seeking to limit another country's freedoms in an effort to protect one's own country's freedoms. We can think of Nazi Germany in the 30s and 40s. And it was their freedoms that led to worldwide war. America finally engaged in the conflict when its freedoms became threatened. And we then engaged and joined in the conflict. And when we engaged, we engaged to go in and limit other countries' freedoms to ensure the freedoms of our own. Because one nation was shouting the freedom to annihilate a people group and to rule as a supreme race. That became a driver to then end, appropriately so, such freedoms. Freedom of speech, that's a slippery slope. 
Did you know freedom of speech is limited? Needs to be. Culturally, it's still thought to be inappropriate for a person to spout out with a foul mouth in the presence of children. And I would add women. I'm old school. One could argue freedom of speech or one can realize that we're not free in an ultimate sense to just say whatever we want to say. Or we could maybe better say in our freedoms, we ought not to abuse the freedom that we've been given. But who decides freedom of speech and when and where is it to be limited? Obviously, we can see where things are headed in our culture in regards to God's word, in regards to this church, your pastors, the things that we have the freedom to speak, culturally speaking. Culture, our culture would like to limit our freedom to speak. I believe we as Christians ought to speak out against abortion. All the while loving the person who has had one or is seeking to have one. I think the church could and should, and I think I could and should do more to love people that find themselves in that place. I was glad to see this week that the United Methodist Church General Council passed the traditional plan. That's what it's called, the traditional plan. The vote was 438 to 384. Pretty close. It was a vote against what was called the one church plan. The traditional plan affirms that the Methodist Church will not be ordaining clergy who are LGBTQ. And their pastors are not to officiate over a same-sex marriage ceremony. I'm grateful for that. Side note, this is why we're holding a worldview conference. Because the issue, this is still part of the side note, I'll get back to the sermon in a second, but the issue for the United Methodist Church is not whether or not they will ordain clergy of the LGBTQ. The issue is what do we believe about the word of God? The battle, if you will, was lost years ago. That they would be in their general council holding a vote on this issue says something that we have lost the battle years ago in regards to God's word. Now, as it relates to our conference, you know that Trinity has convictions about God's word and we're gonna preach God's word and we live in a country where we're free to do so. We will continue to speak God's word if we're not free to do so. We must. Okay, but... We're not beyond a half generation, a generation from where we're at to be in a place where we're holding the same vote. Like, let's 
be sober about, okay, we have convictions, and let's learn from those around us that convictions dwindle and disappear. So the battle isn't so much about what the clergy will do. The battle is what does the word of God say? So the Reverend Tom Berlin spoke in favor of the one church plan. He said, quote, I have a love of the church that sometimes I do not even understand. Sometimes I get emotional when I talk about it because I catch a glimpse of what we can be with God's help. That's an interesting comment. We could spend a whole lot of time there. We won't. But um, the Reverend Tom Berlin never references the word of God. Just in a pragmatic sense, this is what we can be if uh, we go against God's word and move forward with the one church plan. Other delegates did stand and they talked about following God's word. One Reverend Jerry Kula a uh, Liberia delegate and leader of the Africa Initiative Coalition. By the way, it was really the African contingency of pastors that weighed in so heavily for God's word. He argued for the traditional plan. He said, quote, the traditional plan is not only traditional, but biblical. It ensures God's word remains foundational to the life and growth of the United Methodist Church. Others then argued, opposed that this vote will now limit the gospel and the future of the church. And so the examples, they're not trying to pick on that, it just happens to be in the news this week is the only reason I bring it up, but the examples are endless. My big point is that America the beautiful is not free in an ultimate sense. We don't have freedom to just go do whatever it is that we wanna be. Actually, ultimate freedom is anarchy. The sinfulness of man can't handle ultimate freedom. Actually, our freedoms call us to responsibility and responsible citizenship is a call to respect for people. Well, what Paul's doing here in Galatians is he's not addressing America and he's not addressing this from a political sphere. What Paul's doing here in Galatians is he's writing about something with much greater consequence. He writes about an abuse of freedom, not an abuse of political freedom or personal freedom, but he's writing about the abuse of grace, the abuse of the gospel. Living indifferent to not the law of man, but the law of God. So going back a little bit last week, verse number one, Chapter five, let's, let's look at that. Alex preached this last week. If you didn't have a chance, go back to the website and listen to that sermon because it sets a context for what we're saying this morning. Verse one, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What, what he's saying is you're free from the law. You're free from that 
um, observance of the law in a salvific or for, for the sake of your salvation. You cannot earn your salvation. You are free from that law in that sense. And so the next question becomes, so do we kick the law to the curb? <clears throat> and what Paul is saying here in verse one is he's saying, don't lose that. Don't lose that freedom that you've been given. Don't lose your, your, your gospelness about you. Don't lose the fact because that's exactly what they're doing. They're going back to the law, having understood the gospel, having had gospel facts. They're going back to the law and saying, okay, the gospel's great, but let's, let's, we, if we really want to be certain of our salvation... Let's go back to this Old Testament law thing. Let's go back to circumcision specifically is what they're doing. And Paul's saying, don't do that. Don't lose your freedom that you have in Christ. Stand firm, he says in verse one. <clears throat> You're not saved by works. Don't let go of that by running back to a works-based salvation. So if last week was about don't lose your freedom, this week is about don't abuse your freedom. Last week's about don't lose your freedom by running to legalism. This week is don't abuse your freedom by running to license, which means I'm going to kick the law to the curb. I'm just going to live like I want to live. Oh, because I read the first part of chapter five. I don't want to be a legalist. So I'm just going to live the way that I want to live. And obviously, Christ forgives me for my reckless, worldly lifestyle. Paul is saying, first half of chapter 5, don't lose your freedom. Stop it. Don't seek to earn your salvation through the law. The second half of chapter 5, don't abuse your freedom in living reckless. You have a citizenship. You have a responsibility, if you will, to not abuse your freedom. So here's the big idea. The gospel calls us to a freedom that doesn't abuse that freedom by gratifying the flesh, and that's where he's headed. He's like, look, you don't walk this way. He's gonna say, but walk by the Spirit, and it looks like this. Don't, clearly, this has been an issue in Galatians, and surprise, it's an issue for us today. So don't abuse that freedom by gratifying the flesh. Rather, our freedom brings us to gratify the spirit. Big pictures. This is, these are brothers. He refers to them as brothers. They have known gospel truths. Trinity, it's possible for us to know gospel truth and still not be living in it. At Trinity, we're not looking for gospel facts. We're not lo looking to be able to spew out gospel facts. We want gospel life. I can know that Christ has set me free and at the same time not be living in that freedom, right? We all can. We all do this. Bound up by works, guilt, effort that leaves me a slave to earn my right standing before God. That is what these brothers are doing. That's verses 1 through 12. That's the context that Alex is preaching last week, and they had lost their freedom. So let's dive in. Abusing freedom, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. 
For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. And I love this because where's the one word? Um, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The one word, Romans 6 tells us, is love. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And so this, this call to freedom, he's saying, don't abuse that. You're called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Are you a Christian? If you are a Christian, then you have been saved by grace. And if you have been saved by grace, then you have been called to something. The word there is this idea of being called out. You have been called out from something to something. You've been called out, context of Galatians, out of slavery to sin. You've been called out from under the law and you've been called to something. You've been called to Christ. You've been called out of a workspace salvation and you've been called to grace salvation. You've been called to look away from yourself for your salvation and you've been called to look outside of you to Christ, to God for your salvation. He's saying you are called to freedom. Freedom from sin and free to place your faith in Christ and be saved. And so Paul, before he does anything, he appeals to this calling. And he's appealing to our calling this morning as well. You've been called. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And isn't that the temptation? I've been called to freedom. The temptation then is sloppy grace. I've been given grace. I've been given freedom. I can live however I want to live. When you understand the gospel of grace rightly, that should be the next thought. Biblically, it's regularly the next thought. It's where Paul to the Romans Go ahead and go there. He has been unpacking the gospel, the gospel of grace, God's forgiveness, peace with God through faith. He comes to chapter six. You're free, you're free, you're free. Chapter six, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Let's go ahead and sin so there'll be more grace. By no means, he says. How can we who died to sin still live in it? It is, it is another way for Paul to say, don't abuse your freedom. Don't live sloppy grace. Yes, there is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. We preach loudly, Christ alone saves you. No works of yours can be added in some way to bring about your salvation. That is the whole point we've been driving home through this series in Galatians. No amount of doing is going to get it done. Don't give in the offering. If you're thinking that is going to be a means of your salvation, please stop. Don't. Don't come to church in a sense of, I'm here, I'm earning something from God by being here. 
I was going to say, don't read your Bible. Actually, keep reading your Bible because it will show you the error. God's word will show you. No, stop reading your Bible in a legalistic sense that in doing this, I'm earning favor with God. Stop that and continue to read your Bible because grace has been so poured out into all of our lives. The moment that you start to earn your grace is the moment it's no longer grace. It's your payment. It's what you've earned. So the next question becomes, if we understand all of that, so am I supposed to live like the world? Am I just supposed to live reckless? Sounds like I can. It doesn't matter if I go to church then. Tim just said, I'm not going to give in the offering anymore. I'm not going to go to church and I'm not going to read my Bible. And uh, there's probably a lot of other things that I'm not going to do and a lot of things that I am going to do because none of that matters. None of that saves me. To that, Paul is saying, don't abuse your freedom. You misunderstand grace. Let's go back again. Verse one, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stop following that law as a means of your salvation. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. That's the reference to the law. The point of the gospel is not to free you to sin. The point of the gospel is to free you from sin. That we might have a new motivation Namely, the worship of God, the honor of God to not sin, to pursue a life of godliness. And when we fail, not if, when we fail, we have the opportunity to run to Christ for our forgiveness from sin. So verse one, he's saying, don't lose your freedom. Don't lose your grip on the grace of God. Don't lose your grip on the gospel. In verse 13, don't abuse that freedom. Don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh to be worldly, to, to uh, have enough of Jesus to know that I'm saved, but I don't need to worry about any of the rest. I'm just going to live a life of sloppy grace. The gospel frees us from guilt and the gospel frees us from this sloppy grace. We're accepted to Christ, forgiven in Christ, set free by his sacrifice on the cross and to forget that and to begin to earn one's salvation is to lose your freedom, verse one. But that's not all. The gospel not only frees us, but it also frees us from unholy living. It puts us on a path of God honoring, sin denying, world renouncing godliness for his glory. And to forget that is to abuse our freedom, verse 13. Both verse one and verse 13 lose their grip on the gospel. Legalism, seeking to earn your way into favor with God, license, I'm just gonna live the way I wanna live because I've got grace. Both of them are fumbling the gospel. I wanna take us back to our first sermon in Galatians and I wanna read to you some quotes. So get ready. Some of them are a little long, going to give you four or five in a row. Hang with me. Here's where we started in Galatians. Tim Keller, the book of Galatians is dynamite. 
It is an explosion of joy and freedom, which leaves us enjoying a deep significance, security, and satisfaction. The life of blessing God calls his people into. Why? Because it brings us face to face with the gospel. It's very common in Christian circles to assume that the gospel is something mainly for non-Christians. We see it as a set of basic ABC doctrines that are the way in which someone enters the kingdom of God. We often assume that once we're converted, we don't need to hear or study or understand the gospel. We need more advanced material. But in this short letter, Paul outlines the bombshell truth that the gospel is the A to Z of the Christian life. It's not only the way to enter the kingdom, it's the way to live as part of the kingdom. It's the way Christ transforms people, churches, and communities. Again, from week one, Galatians is gospel. It is a clear, unapologetic unpacking of the glorious gospel. It reveals to us that we are bigger sinners than we might think, and we are saved by a bigger savior than we might believe. These truths create a radical, new, transformed life in the spirit that calls us to gospel-driven growth, obedience, and dependence. This is the big idea we put over the entire book. The problem in Galatia was not their knowledge of the gospel. It was in their application of the gospel. They didn't live in the good of the gospel. And the result of this was that it cheapened Christ's sacrifice and elevated their works. The problem in Galatia in their day is our problem today. That is why we preach Galatians. J. Max Stiles says, the gospel is accepted, the gospel is assumed, the gospel is confused, the gospel is lost. John Stott. For all around us, we see Christians and churches relaxing their grip, their grasp on the gospel, fumbling it, in danger of letting it drop from their hands altogether. And what I'm saying to you, that when we abuse our freedoms, we are fumbling that very gospel. Young people, your attention for a moment. And it's not just a young people's issue. It's not what I'm trying to say. But among young people today living aware of grace, can I just exhort you? Reject sloppy grace. Pursue godliness for the glory of the Lord. Live. Oh, right? We live in America. Like, praise God, right, for our freedoms, Praise God for the freedoms that we have here in America. They are wonderful, they are great, but they're not the gospel. Praise God for your freedom that you have in Christ Jesus. What he has set you free from is to be the motivator. God, I wanna honor you with my life. Church, I wanna, I wanna honor you with my eyes. I want to honor you with the things that I, I hear and I listen to and I pursue. The things that this world tells me matters most. God help us. Number two, what it looks like to not abuse our freedom. Again, verse 13, middle of verse 13. So, it's not an opportunity for the flesh, but 
through love, serve one another. This is what it looks like not to abuse our freedom. Through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So I don't know how all that strikes you, but it surprises me. He's unpacking this don't abuse your freedom thing. He has said in verse one, stand firm, don't lose your freedom. Verse 13, don't abuse your freedom. The next thing he says is relational. Everything there is relational. It has to do with others. Serve one another, verse 14. He gives us the great summary of the law. In a word, love. In three words, love your neighbor. So Paul, which is it? It's kind of how we should be looking at these verses. Which is it? Is it, is it freedom? Because the middle of verse 13 through 15 kind of sounds like duty. These are commands. Don't abuse your freedom. Verse one, you've been set free. Christ has set you free. Here's some things you need to do. Is Paul confused? Is it verse three? Look back to verse three. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. If you pick up part of the law, that's what he's saying, then you're obligated to obey all of the law. James tells us if you fall at one point of the law, you've become accountable to all of it. So if you're gonna go with the law, then you need to go with the law. You can't just pick circumcision. It's not a buffet table. You gotta take all the law. And if you fail at one point of the law, you failed the entire law. That's what the law says. And so he's saying you've been free from that. And don't abuse your freedom. And so serve and love. Saved by grace, you have no obligation to obey the law for your salvation. No obligation at all for justification. Back to verse four. You are are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. You have freedom to stand firm, verse one. So don't lose that. Don't lose your grip on that. You've been saved by grace. And now that you're free, saved by grace, you have a, dare I say, obligation to serve others and to love Another way to put it is the gospel puts a claim on your life. You've been called out to this freedom. You are called to the freedom, and in that calling, you have an obligation to live in the good of the gospel, to live out the gospel. The law was a taskmaster. Your obligation, as I said, it's perfection. Let's go with that. All right, we all failed. Christ died, and he freed us from living under that law. He lived a perfect life for us. We place our faith in Christ's perfect life. Your motivation 
is no longer the law obligates me or I have to earn. Now your motivation is the grace of God. It is the forgiveness of Christ. It is love rather than duty. It's joy rather than something we do begrudgingly. It is worship of God rather than the worship of self. Now, which one moves you more? Are you motivated by the law's obligation or are you motivated by grace and the response to grace? Are you motivated by guilt or are you motivated by worship? Paul is saying in verses 13, the second half there in verse 13 through 15, these are relational things. These are the ways that we live out a gospel life with others motivated by Christ. You're free from the law's demands. How free? Entirely free from the law's demands. That's grace. That's to motivate us. God, how do I honor you? You're now free to serve Christ. You're now free to serve others out of that freedom. And that is a joy. It is a worship, a delight. And that's what the gospel does. Rather than giving us a sloppy grace, it devours our motivation to sin and then empowers us to fight the flesh that we don't have to live like the world. Grace and freedom doesn't equal this sloppy Christian living. It doesn't equal, so we're gonna ignore holiness. Grace and freedom calls us to honor the Savior, to grow in Christ, to love other people, to serve others, and verse 15, not to bite and devour one another. See, I wanna bite and devour that person. What's gonna keep me from going there? Grace. I don't, left to ourselves, we're not inclined to serve other people. It's not that we never do or did. It's just we probably did just because there was something in it for us. We were worshipers of self. Grace motivates us. What? We prayed for the cleaning team. Where's that come from? Right? Like grace motivates us. How do we, how do we serve? How do we, how do we get engaged? How do, how do we not pull away from serving? Because I don't want to be a legalist. How do we lean into serving? Because, wow, Christ himself served me. Do we serve, love, not bite and devour others in an effort to Gain the favor of God? Paul is saying, no. Is this, is this second portion here? Is this, are these ways that Paul is bringing about a new law? Serve one another, love your neighbor, don't bite and devour. New laws of Paul? No, responses to the mercy and grace of God. So we serve, we love, we don't bite and devour. Never to gain God's favor, always out of response to what we've been given by God's favor. Never to get something from God and others. Always to give to the Lord and others because we've been given so much. Never, I have to do this 
to earn my salvation. Always, I get to do this because I've been saved. Never. Forget that. I've got grace. I'll live like I want to live. Always. Forget that. I've got grace. I will live for God. That is the way I want to live for his glory. Never driven by law, which is a horrible, weak motivator. Always driven by grace, which is a worshipful motivator. So Paul, verse one, says, don't. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm. Don't lose your freedom. Verse 13, don't abuse your freedom. And then he begins to unpack. What does that look like? These verses are so practical for us. Lastly, he, he further states his point to show us that there are, there are two natures at work. And originally when we were kind of scheduling all this out, we thought we're gonna, we're gonna take this, we're gonna run this sermon to the end of the chapter. And then I got to work in this week. So there's no way we're gonna make it to the end of this chapter. So a bit of this is this week and a bit of this is it'll get finished next week. But Paul begins to unpack for us two natures, the spirit and the flesh. Let's look, verse 16. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now just listen to the conflict that's going on here. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you wanna do. Now if that doesn't remind you of Paul in Romans 7, Go and read that later on. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Cool, right? Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We'll preach next week. But the fruit of the Spirit is, yeah, we'll get there. What is Paul doing here? I thought he just said we're free. He's saying that the life, the gospel life. It's why the gospel can't just be factual knowledge. It's gotta filter down into our lives, church. Gospel living, freedom living, is a walk by the spirit rather than a walk of the flesh or an abuse of our freedom to gratify the flesh. The reality is, is all that we do, we do out of these two natures. When we live by one, we don't gratify the other. The word in the original language here of flesh is the word sarks. That's the verse 16 and verse 17. It's the desires of the flesh that sarks. And sarks 
as it's defined, is a sin desire, a flesh desire that rejects the nature of the Spirit. Again, verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. This desire for the flesh, there's this contrary, there's this conflict that's going on. And that desire for the flesh, some of your versions are translating that lust. And I, I want to just unpack that. What, what is he talking about here? It's not a, he's not referring here to a sexual thing. That's not what he's after. That's why some translations just translate it, the desire of the flesh. Kind of softens that a little bit. But it's also more than a desire thing. So how do we make sense out of this desire thing that he's talking about? The word for desire in the original carried the meaning craving, this just longing for. Now here's the thing. It can be a longing for something that's good or morally neutral. But I long for it. It'd be a similar word in the Old Testament that we'd have the word idolatry. I crave this. I lust for it. I long for it. This desire of the flesh. These things that can be morally neutral things and yet I gotta have it and I gotta have it so much that it becomes my God. It's the same word in verse 24, chapter five. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Tim Keller describes the word as an over-desire. That's how he puts it. It can be something that's morally neutral, but we over-desire it. It's when a good thing becomes a God thing, an idol, the thing that controls us. An example, a wife who wants her husband to lead in godliness, that's a good thing until you make him an idol. Make an idol out of your husband. Desiring for his leadership controls you. And when you get your idol, you're happy and you're content and you're satisfied. It's a good thing, right? But when you don't get your idol, you're irritable, you're impatient, you lack grace. Husbands, when you desire your wife to respond to your leadership and you crave for it, you over-desire it, you make an idol out of that, it rules you, and when you don't get it, you become angry. You begin to throw scripture verses at her. You lack grace for her growth. This isn't godly leadership. This isn't anything that she's going to want to follow. <clears throat> In both scenarios, it has more to do <clears throat> with selfishness, the worship of self, than it does the worship of God. But it looks good, this over-desire. <clears throat> it's a good thing, gone wrong. And it's the desire of the flesh, it's idolatry, and it's something other than God, the Spirit of God, controlling you. 
But these, verse 17b, these desires, these over-desires of the spirit are against the flesh. The spirit who lives in you has a desire for you. The spirit's desire for you to glorify Christ. The spirit nature is all that honors Christ. That is what the spirit desires in you. The spirit brings glory and honor to Christ. And so you've got this flesh glorifying thing and you've got this spirit glorifying thing. The flesh wants to glory in self. The flesh wants to glory in the created things. Here's the things that I want. This is about my world and doggone it, I've got my freedoms. God's gifts, they're a benefit to me. I am on the throne. The fruit of this will be Well, he gives us a list. We'll get to that in a moment. And if I'm getting what I ought to get from you, then all's good. The fruit of the Spirit then (laughs) is love, joy, peace, patience. As long as you give me my over-desires... But if our over-desire idols don't give us what we long for, he gives us a list for that as well. In other words, if we're, if we're gratifying the flesh, there will be fruit that will be fleshly. And if we're gratifying the spirit, there will be fruit that will be spiritual. One will honor self and one will honor the Lord. Spirit glorifying. The spirit glories in Christ. This is, this is what drives us to holiness and godliness and seeking to honor God. This is what drives us to his word and, 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 and causes us to want to, how do we serve? How do, how do we get involved? How do we love someone who's not been lovely towards us? How do we not devour and consume others? And he says, here's the fruit of the spirit. Now, this is just, can I just say, this is all of our living room, right? This is our living rooms. Let's go through the list again, verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. You know, the list, it seems like it's got these, you know, kind of extremes. And we're not careful. So you, you might be here this morning going, well, no, I'm good. No, no. But we're all in here because we all have a flesh and we've all sought to, at different times, gratify our flesh. And when we do, And when we have, we're not gratifying the spirit. And so here's the fruit of that, gratifying the flesh. And how different is that from the fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. We'll preach those next week. When we gratify our flesh, it's our desires, not God's, desires that drive us, that rule us. 
That's not to say that everything you do is immoral. It's just to say that you and I did what we did if it satisfied us, it gratified our flesh. As long as it served me, it was good for me, then I do that. Even when we serve other people prior to Christ, we did that serving out of a motivation to serve ourselves. Then we were saved, we were called out to freedom, at which time you and I were given the Holy Spirit, and now you and I can walk in the Holy Spirit. We have a new life in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit living in us, now we can do what we do, not to gratify the flesh, but to honor the Lord, to gratify the Spirit. This isn't just being moral, this isn't just, just doing good stuff, it is worship. It is honor and glory and magnifying. It is I am saved. I have been called to this freedom. I'm a new creature in Christ. I have the spirit of God who lives in me. I belong to Christ. I'm adopted, he's been telling us in Galatians, as a child of God. Christ is my identity. I am Christian. I want to gratify the spirit who lives in me. If the worship team would come, would you join me on the platform? So you've got this parallel thing going on. You've got this flesh thing, gratifying the flesh thing, and you've got the spirit thing going on. Gratify the spirit. The flesh, well, it wants to be king. Lord and savior. The flesh wants to say, I'll go it alone. I'll throw some sloppy grace out there. I'll live like the world. And the sloppy grace does much damage to self and others. Both the spirit nature and the flesh nature are driven by what is seen as most desirable. Both are controlled. Both have a Lord. Both have a Savior. Both are controlled by what is valued most. What is the greater worthwhile pursuit? What's your treasure? And the result of that is a fruit. There's fr- fleshy fruit, that's 19 through 21, and there's spirit fruit, 22 and 23. Very quickly, let's unpack the fleshly fruit. Three terms. His first three terms have sexual connotations, sexual immorality, In the original language, it's the word pornea. You know where we get our word pornography. Impurity is the idea of sexual practices and sensuality, this is lustful cravings. So the first three items are sexual connotations. The second two are religious. He says idolatry and sorcery. Idolatry is anything that substitutes God and sorcery is anything that replaces or fakes the work of the Spirit. And then he drops in seven relational connotations. The flesh kills relationships. Enmity is hatred. Strife is contention. Then you have fits of anger. We know what that means. The next four he drops in describe the result of the previous three. You have rivalries. You have dissensions or divisiveness. And actually, he brings division. You have factions. You have opposing parties. You have envy, 
Look, these, these church, just because we know the gospel doesn't mean we're living in the good of it. And he's calling us to a holy living. And he's giving us really, he's drilling down right into our living room. He's saying, here's some very simple, practical ways to evaluate and look at. Is it just something, the gospel, is it just something we know? Or is it something that's supposed to affect our living room? For his glory, for his honor. He closes the list with substance abuses, drunkenness and orgies and The two of them are linked. They're not separate categories, actually. And these are addictions to pleasure created substances. And he ends it all with a warning. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the gospel church calls us to a freedom that doesn't abuse that freedom by gratifying the flesh, rather, Our freedom brings us to gratify the spirit. So God, we just want to pause and just say, we we need you. We need you. God, I pray for a church that will stand firm in our freedoms, that we would declare, that we would shout the glories of the gospel, that you have freed us from all all the self seeking ways of earning our salvation. Lord, we are free. We are free in Christ Jesus. We are free. And then, Lord, we run over to the other ditch and we say, God, keep us from abusing that freedom. Lord, you've, been, you've called us to this freedom. Lord, a freedom that now empowers us to live in the good of the gospel. Lord, to honor you with our lives. How we go about living our lives, Lord, we want them to honor you. No, church, you can't do that perfectly. But it is that desire to gratify the spirit that Paul is after, that God's spirit actually is after in us. So Lord, would you help us? Let's stand together. Let's pause and we'll sing and we'll respond.